Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. Since we have a bunch more subscribers, I wanna say this first instead of last. Anybody who supports, feel free to ask a question wherever it is that you support. Just please ask it in the latest Q&A post. So if you wanted to ask a question for next week, you would put it in this week's post on that support service. And it's mostly because it's kind of hard to figure out what's a new question on an older post. But also, as you're about to see, I really like just scrolling through these in real time as if we were hanging out, having a conversation somewhere. These are supposed to be very laid back, no intro and outro, just chill conversation, answer some questions, nerd out for a bit and go from there. So let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up, on Patreon, Oliver Clare said last week they connected their Neo Geo CD to a 10-year-old crappy HDTV using its native SCART port just because it was what they had on hand. The results were poor as expected, washed out colors, smeared visuals, and poor clarity, but then the thought occurred to them, how would you accurately showcase this degradation in order to make a point about why you should be using a good upscaler. They're contemplating a piece that would compare the degraded SCART output as it is natively displayed on the HDMI against the better quality upscaled version you'd see on something like a Tink 5X Pro. They've thought about using a data path or an Epifan card, but they'd assume that any direct analog video capture would probably produce a decent looking signal, paradoxically preventing viewers from experiencing the full extent of the visual train wreck they're seeing on screen. So the question is, is there a way to capture the low quality output in a way that's true to what's actually being displayed on the screen, or is just recording the screen with a camera the best bet? So um, I have spent probably an incredibly unhealthy amount of hours thinking about the same thing. And a good quality camera with a good lens, even the cheaper prime lens is still an excellent way to do this. Uh, that's the only way to go. And in fact, the RetroTINK mini video I did, which I should take down because the part shortage kind of killed that thing, but um, that is as close to what you're asking for as I've been able to do in the past. However, I really plan on revisiting this. Time is by far the, the biggest issue, but I really want to do a video that's all about why you should not plug your retro consoles direct into your TV. And this is really based on people who come into the comment section, like, this is dumb. This looks exactly like plugging into my TV. Who would be stupid enough to buy a product that does this? And I really would love to jump in and explain why. Yes, with no motion on screen, like a title screen or something, it's going to look about the same. But as soon as there's motion, that's when you notice that 240p is being deinterlaced, even though it is not an interlaced signal. And the latency issues I've already shown in the myth-busting lag video, but I want to put all of this into one video because it's not somebody's fault if they think those things. I mean, you're a complete asshole if you go into somebody's comments accusing them of lying when you have no idea what you're talking about, but the thought that that person has is not unfair because the real reason, the real problem is that TV manufacturers to this day still don't really care enough about older video games past the brand new series. And while you might say, fine, they're only looking at the future, that's cool too, but don't forget that even back in the early 2000s, video games were a billion-dollar business that still got kind of laughed at, which, you know, if you're a company like Vizio, 
that's just making TVs for consumers, fine. But Sony did this too. Sony, who made video game consoles since the 90s, which is mind-blowing. So the fact that these TV companies have completely blown off analog video retro gaming signals, and to a point, even HDMI-based consoles that could really use some gaming-based features that should be easy for TV manufacturers to make, that's a real problem. And that's why it's really hard to get through to people. And also, you know, people are just used to getting ripped off, right? I talked to a lot of game stores about this, and they all have to keep the cheaper, not very good solutions. Because when somebody who doesn't know any of this stuff walks into a retro game store, and they're bringing their kid in, they want to play Super Mario Kart, just like they did when they were a kid. And somebody behind the counter says, well, I mean, you really need this thing that's like 100 bucks. But if you want to make it look good, you're going to spend like 300. Most people's reactions are, you know, what are you trying to rip me off? This is crazy. All I need to do is plug composite into HDMI. So get me something right now, or I'm going to go on Amazon. So most of the stores that I talk to have the attitude of like, hey, if you really are just looking to do something quick, here's the thing. But if you want quality, if this is something that you care about, you really should look into these other options or just go find a CRT on the side of the road for free and come back here for games and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's not fair that we have to do the explaining for this. It really sucks that TV manufacturers from the dawn of the flat panel era, in fact, the dawn of the HD CRT era, have completely ignored analog video consoles. So that's the problem. That's the real problem. Uh, but getting the technical issues out to people is something that I really want to make time for. I, I wanted to do it a couple years ago in a very big, high production way. Uh, and then I just, I didn't have the time or budget. And then I wanted to do something where I, I really wanted to highlight some stuff and maybe just get one of my normal videos out, like Tink 4K style. And then the part shortage kind of killed everything. So I think basically once the 4K scalers like uh, the Tink 4K and then once the OSSC Pro is released, I think that's the time to make two videos. You know, why you don't plug analog consoles directly into a flat panel, even if it already has analog inputs. And how do you plug consoles into flat panels in 2024 type of thing. So let me know your thoughts on that because the most I've learned from how to present this information has been from you, from the comment section, from the people messaging me through the support services, having these conversations, from going back and forth with Oliver, designing the, all the crazy setup that Oliver has. It's been you who's really helped for all of this because it's really hard once you get dug deep into this stuff to try to see it from other people's perspectives who are walking in fresh. And that's my job. I have to do it that way. And I'm not bad at it, but you all help so much. And, you know, even the, the rude and mean spirited comments are still helpful because it really shows me how to present some of these videos in a way that cut those people off at the pass. So yes, I know some people call that feeding the trolls, but I don't think so. I think it's not giving them a reason to troll in the first place. Uh, so I'm going to try my best to get that video out by the end of the year, um, those two videos. Maybe this the scalar one might be January, but I'll see. Time is really a huge issue for me these days, so um, I'm going to try my best. But if you want to give it a try, there's I'm not telling you not to, by the way, Oliver. I hope that didn't come across the wrong way, especially for any new viewers. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying, hey, Oliver, don't you make that video. I was already making that video. No. I, if everybody listening makes a video, I'll promote all of yours, all the good ones at least, and I'll still do mine. But it's important to me to get this out there because so many people are just getting used to being ripped off. And that's not what anybody in this community, most people in this community are trying to do. There's always that $200 Xbox adapter I could bring up as an example, but we'll, we'll keep it positive.
Next up, Jason Guffey is curious if I know whether it's okay or not in the long term to orient consoles vertically upright rather than horizontally flat, specifically in reference to stuff like the fat PS2, the PS3, or the Xbox 360s. They've yet to have anything fail on them so far, but they've heard some horror stories about DVD trays mutilating discs and entire consoles when the game isn't properly seated. They've also heard that console thermals tend to change drastically depending on orientation, though they don't know if it's for the better or the worse. Any thoughts or advice? So one strong thought on this, if a manufacturer makes it so that you can orient it either way, the Wii Um, The PlayStation 2 and 3, Xbox 360, they all have those pads, so you could put it vertically or you could put it horizontally. If they do that, it's supposed to be up to them to make sure that, thermally speaking, it can run in both orientations. Now, hopefully there's research out there that people have done that could say if one runs better one way or the other, but then you would also have to take into account motherboard variations, um, any kind of product variances, and of course, how old is it, or the, the test criteria. Thermal testing is something I spent a lot of time doing, and I was actually pretty good at back in the day, so it's you know, for your own personal setup, you could absolutely just have some kind of way to test the temperature, try it both ways, and see if it makes any significant difference. And for your own setup, absolutely, that's all you would really need. But to do some kind of deep dive into saying, should it be horizontal or vertical, you'd have to test across the board, which is why it's probably hard to get information like that. Um, For me personally, it's about convenience of setup. Because one of the things that I've learned, we're, especially if you're somebody like me who's a workaholic and likes being that way, but I don't have extra time. So there's been many times where I'm like, you know, I'd love to play a couple of rounds of Mortal Kombat on the Super Nintendo. I don't know. I'm just picking a game out of my head here. And then I realize my Super Nintendo's over here in the middle of an RGB test setup and my RGB monitor's over there. And it's like, it's going to take 10 minutes to piece this thing together. I'm just going to go finish up some more work. So if there's something that makes your workflow easier, that you could just go, you know what, I'm, you know, I only had 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Let me go turn this on, flip this switch, press this button, grab my controller. Then you're playing within a minute, as long as your newer console doesn't have to do a system update or something like that. Uh, so that's the type of thing that's more important to me personally in those scenarios. Can you fit more consoles on your shelf vertically? Do they work better in your setup horizontally? Is it easier to use that way? The only time I would question that are for consoles that were not designed to be used that way. So cartridge-based consoles might have the cartridge slightly pull itself out, so you might get game freezes and lockups if the cartridge wiggles, if you have it sideways. Um, Stuff like the PlayStation 1, maybe it'll be fine spinning sideways. Uh, Todd from Retrofrog did that vertical stand specifically for people who are using ODEs, so you don't have to worry about a disc spinning. So that's the only time I would ever worry about that is if it's you're if you're using it in a manner that it's not designed to be used. But other than that, if a console has both orientations, I personally would just do what's best for my setup. Next up, Tony Escobar just added their Dreamcast to their PVM setup. They have it connected to an 8x8 Xtron crosspoint, which connects to a Sony PVM 14L5. They're using a RetroAccess BNC cable, and their question is, if they're connected to their 14L5, can they leave the cable set to 31 kilohertz indefinitely? 
So the answer is yes, but for everybody else listening, I'm going to give a little bit of detail. I just don't want to drop a yes and then <laughs> move on. Um, so what Tony's talking about is Dreamcast can output 15 kilohertz and 31 kilohertz, or it might more commonly be known as 480i and 240p, which is 15 kilohertz, or 480p, which is 31 kilohertz. The PVM14L5 is one of the very rare PVMs that could actually support multi-formats, 15 and 31 kilohertz formats. And since basically the entire Dreamcast library, especially now that there's those new patches that you could patch the 480i only games to work, since all the whole library is basically 480p now, there's almost not a reason to go down to 240p. Maybe if you're going to third strike and you want something that feels a little more arcadey, but uh, so you really wouldn't need anything other than the 480p mode. So in the context of using a multi-format monitor, there's zero issues leaving it just in 480p the whole time. It's good that you got a switchable version because now if you end up with a system or a game that you do want to play in the original resolution, all you have to do is power the console off, flip the switch, power it back on, and you're done. But in the context of your monitor, no, I would just always, I always leave mine in 480p. In fact, my prototype um, retro gaming cables component cable broke and it's stuck in 31 kilohertz mode. And the only time it ever, ever mattered is when Shank and I wanted to do a light gun demonstration on a consumer CRT. So that was it. Out of all the times I've, ha I've had it, that was it. So nope, you're fine. Uh, the only thing is if, let's just say, right, you have an 8x8 cross point, and now you pick yourself up a PVM20M2U, a 15 kilohertz only one. That's the only time I would say, you know, if you boot it in 31 kilohertz, it's not going to explode your monitor or anything, but it's definitely not good for it. So if you find yourself accidentally turning it on in 480p mode in that scenario, then I would always leave it in 15 kilohertz mode. The other way too is if you have a bunch of different monitors, like my PlayStation 3, whenever I'm done using it, and my Wii too actually, I set it to 480i mode and then I turn it off. Because when I turn it back on, any of my multi-format monitors or processors are going to see 480i, and then I could just switch it to whatever resolution I want. However, when I go to use it on something like a consumer TV that doesn't support 480p, then if I forget, then I got to go back, plug it into something else, change the resolution, reboot, go. So that would be the only scenario in which I would say leave it to 15 kilohertz is if you're in a position where you might constantly need to go in and switch it. You might just do that in advance. But yeah, it was a long answer that ends in, yeah, you're fine. Next up, Billy Retro Gamer has been looking for good condition and decently priced Sega 3D glasses and an adapter for their US Master System, which is super hard to find, but they're wondering if there's alternatives, maybe an off-brand set of glasses. Also, does the Japanese 3D adapter work in the US Sega Master System with a card slot, or maybe there are patches someone could, uh, could send them to convert the games from 3D to 2D? So all good questions. First of all, Basically, any 3D glasses that have a 3.5 millimeter jack that looks like a headphone jack should plug in to the Master System 3D port. The same games that work, uh, or the same glasses that work on the Master System would also work on the Famicom 3D system. So if it's easier to find the Famicom glasses, that's fine too. But any aftermarket glasses, like the one I'm holding up here, the Asus VR100G, I have these and I have a couple of other pairs um, 
those will work. So they're all hard to find, but generally speaking, you could find new old stock of these that are brand new, not scratched up for like 50 bucks. Whereas even a beat up, scratched up pair of Master System glasses go for quite a bit. The problem is the receiver. Now, if you're using a Japanese Master System, then that has the 3D receiver built into the motherboard. So that's pretty cool. But for the US ones, you really, I've, I don't even know if there are Japanese Sega cards because it was built into the Japanese Master System. So you might be stuck with a US one, or I guess a European one, no matter what. But what I would love to see is a homebrew version of that. And I've been talking to people about this. I mean, since before I came up with the name Retro RGB, when this was still just a Google Doc I was putting together for Cousin Scott and I, I've been asking for aftermarket 3D adapters. And I've also been asking for ways to integrate that adapter into a Genesis. So that way you could do something like, you know, have the port in back or repurpose the headphone port if you really wanted to, to be for 3D glasses. And a couple of projects happened. A couple, somebody sent me their version of it, and I could never get it working. So, uh, and it's not just me. I had uh, Jose help me with this as well. So we really could use a homebrew solution for both the Famicom and the Master System. But for now, you're going to have to look for the Sega 3D adapter. But you could absolutely use VR glasses. Now, as for patches for games from 3D to 2D, I vaguely remember those existing. You might want to check SMS Power. It's an absolutely amazing resource for Master System. It is the SMS resource, no doubt. I interviewed Maxim from SMS Power a while back as well, if you want more info on that site. But if there were patches, it would be there. But keep in mind, games like OutRun and Space Harrier just have regular versions of them as well. Uh, and there's also some games that you could have a button combo to put it into 2D mode and other games that you need the button combo to put it in 3D mode, so it's fine to use anyway. So I would just kind of reference that website to see, but I think that would be kind of cool. The one thing I will say is games like uh, Missile Defense 3D, that is a 3D light gun game, and it's the same levels over and over. It, get, it ramps up in difficulty really quickly. I, just, I showed that on uh, my last Master System live stream, and that's the type of stuff where it's not a great game and you're not going to play it for hours, but to spend 15, 20 minutes shooting 3D 8-bit missiles is awesome. I wouldn't bother patching that game for 2D. Or you could use emulation if you wanted to do that as well. Um, software emulation, or I think maybe, I don't know if uh, Mr. has that option yet, but you know that's one that it, that's something that you would probably only really want to use in 3D. And on the flip side, a game like Maze Hunter 3D, that is actually a very good game. It's really hard, but it's difficulty of that era, but it uses the 3D depth as part of the game, and it really adds to it. And uh, there's a version of that on the 3DS that you could buy that was very well done. So I think those are probably the only two that I would say you really want to play in 3D. The rest, you know, sure, try to find the patches and everything, but... Yeah, and if uh, if you're listening to this and you're a dev, please let me know if you have any way to build an aftermarket Master System 3D adapter. Because while there's really only a couple of awesome 3D games, they are fun and worth playing. And once again, the same glasses can be used on uh, Famicom. So uh, all have to be used with a, a CRT, but uh, it still would be something that would be pretty neat if we can get homebrew versions of those adapters. Next up, Wijlo said that my video on that Brian Vega Algol CRT reminded them of some issues they encountered with their JVC consumer TV. It also accepts both 50 and 60 hertz. 
Their issue is that it never seems to recognize the mister signal being sent unless they use their HDMI output to toggle the region back and forth. Then it works fine. They have no issues with their consoles plugged in directly, and they also don't have any issues when they're plugged into their Sony Trinitron CRT. They don't recall if I encountered this or not while testing the Brian Vega, so they wanted to throw it out there. I did run into this, and it was my fault. I forgot to change the Mr. INI file. So I have one of those absolutely amazing retro castle cases, my favorite Mr. Case. It's small. It's not one of those double-stack, crazy, science project-y looking ones. It's small, it's compact, and it offers a Sega Saturn mini-din on the back that uses the mic S course, which means you could use a Saturn composite or S-video cable or an RGB cable as well. And what I had done was I had plugged in an RGB cable, which would work with, uh, because RGB doesn't have a color format. It's just RGB raw. And when I switched to S-Video, it would only come out in black and white. And I couldn't figure out how to switch it to PAL mode. And that's when I remembered the Mr. INI file needs to be adjusted to PAL mode. So simply by, uh, you could create a, an alternate Mr. INI file and switch between them. You could just edit it manually and have it as your main. But if you switch that to PAL, then that should work perfectly. Now that would output PAL 60. You would have to change the INI file if you wanted to output PAL 50 as well. But that's definitely the thing that you would have to uh, remember. I don't know quite what you mean when you say, unless you use your HDMI output to toggle the region. Do you, um, I'm not really sure what you mean. Do you mean the INI file about that? So you might want to... Uh, clarify, because if I'm misunderstanding, then I might be giving you the wrong advice here. So sorry if that's the case. But basically, very long explanation short, double check your Mr. INI file. And one trick that I always use, back up your current one and download the latest one from GitHub. Because that's something I run into all the time is I'll be talking to a Mr. Dev and they'll say, just change this thing. And it's not there. And that's because they're referencing a new feature that was added in a newer INI file. So I'll leave links to both my favorite case and just the GitHub entry for the Mr. INI file. And that might be something that you could probably start with just in case there's extra things that have been added that, um, that, you know, you would, that would correspond with this. But remember, worst case, as long as you rename the original Mr. INI.bak or something, you can always just put it back the way it was. So it's worth trying. And let me know if I, if I pointed you in the wrong direction here. Dustin Madison's been planning a New York City trip, and since I lived right in Manhattan for five or six years, Dustin's been asking some, some fun New York City-related questions, and here's one more. As someone who's probably been to their share of dives, whether it's for music or just to hang out, is there a way to discern whether it's a good dive? They ask this, as here in the boonies, there's almost no easy way to find out unless you go in yourself. They've been to spots that get good hype, but just sucked in the end. There used to be a spot that was somewhat famous called the Bob Inn, it's kind of funny, uh, known for having a Harley bolted upside down in the ceiling. Basically, it was like the bar at Roadhouse pre-Swayze. It's no longer around because too much crap went down there. They went in a few times and all they could say is they had a jukebox at least, and uh, they knew at least half the folks that went there who <laughs> weren't arrested or hospitalized. Um, that's funny, but that's where, you know, honestly, it's the same everywhere, right? Um, the one thing I keep saying about New York is just because some place is fancy and expensive doesn't mean it's better. Unless you're just looking to feel fancy walking into a nice place, of course, but going for food or going for drinks, um, it's really about the quality of that. So that's where online reviews could help. Uh, even some negative reviews have been so helpful for me because there are people that complain about the dumbest things where the reviewer themselves is obviously the idiot. And I'm like, 
oh no, that place sounds totally fine. I'm definitely going to that place. And so I would, I would keep all of those reviews with a grain of salt, but uh, I would go through and just treat it the same way you would anywhere else. And uh, you know, all, obviously things are subjective too, because it's uh, you know, a lot of my friends used to always say, oh, this is a fun bar. That's a fun bar. There's no such thing as a fun bar. A fun bar is where you are with your friends having fun with each other, at least in my opinion. So keep all that stuff in mind. But no, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. You know, there's always that, hey, you got to go to this uh, this hidden gem of a dive bar. It looks like a dump, but it's actually really cool. And that's all over all over the world, really. There's places like that. And I've had them from everywhere I've been. I've always sought out places like that. And very often it was a win. But nowadays with the online reviews, that's a, an easy and safe way to do it basically anywhere. Um, and I can't really, you know, so much has changed since I've moved because uh, I moved at the end of, um, you know, at the end of lockdown, basically. So a lot of stuff aren't, aren't even there anymore. So I wish I could tell you, yeah, go to Hell's Kitchen, go to this place, check this, you know, go, go downstairs underneath to the second bar. Like, I don't even know if that stuff's there anymore. So it could be just a bunch of homeless people living down there now. So I wish I had more, more fun tips to give you, but all I could say is, um, just treat it like everywhere else. Check out your reviews and see what you could find. Now, switching over to Floatplane, Buster D wanted to chime in on the conversation from last week about putting controllers in Ziploc bags. And they said they've read on toy collecting forums that Ziploc and similar bags can off-gas and potentially cause plastic yellowing. So bags like resealable, acid-free comic bags might be better for storage if you're paranoid. Or maybe just not sealing a Ziploc would be sufficient. Um, I've done not the not sealing and I've used anti-static bags before the same things that you would have, uh, just electronic components in. And some of the anti-static bags are silvery and you kind of could understand that's what they are. Others look like Ziploc, but they're actually anti-static. So I don't know if that's better or worse for any of the, uh, off gas stuff, but I, when I do it that way, I do not seal the bags. And part of that is just because when temperature changes, the air inside the bag could expand and contract. So if you have a whole bunch of stuff in a box, you might see the box start to bulge out if things expand like that, but that's a good idea and a good thought. So does anybody else have any thoughts on this? Any reason to, or to not put a controller in a bag, uh, any kind of sealed bag, um, I'm still going to hang mine upside down for as long as I possibly can, but I'd love more input on that because I bet you there's some stuff that we're missing. No no disrespect at all to you, Buster. I just, as nerds, it's our job to always ask the questions like, what are we missing here? Well, there's got to be more to this story. Or, or if there's not, then hey, at least we just verified our guesses. So thanks for chiming in. Well, that's it for this week. I saw there weren't too many questions, so I felt free to kind of elaborate a little more on the answers than I normally would, but I always just try to make these flow as nicely as possible. If it's a week with a ton of questions, I try to just answer the people and not spend so much time on context just to make sure I get to everybody. And in weeks like today, I get to just expand a little bit, and maybe that way some, some noobs that are coming in might not have to guess. They could get all their answers. But as always, let me know how you feel about this stuff. Most of the feedback, whenever I've asked, people have just been like, nah, you're fine. But I always want to improve. I always want to do what's right for all of the amazing people who support. So thank you all so much. Uh, and I guess that's it for this week. So have a have a fun weekend and I'll see you next week.